I want every Christian on planet Earth just to open the Bible and read a verse and say, Thank you, Lord, because you are speaking to me through thy word. And God, you are speaking my language. I want them to speak that loud because we are privileged. Many, many people are out there without the word of God. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Ferdowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. Today we are going to talk with what we consider the founding father of the Essentially Translatable podcast, our very own Dr. Tillahun Mendeto. Dr. Tillahun serves as the Executive Development Officer of Lutheran Bible Translators. He is past president of Concordia College in Selma, Alabama, and pastored congregations in Alabama. His uh, PhD is in Missiology from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. Before we get into that, though, Emily, let's make sure we make life easy for those folks who are listening to us. Mm -hmm. Maybe you catch this podcast, but you catch it accidentally. We want to be sure that you have us intentionally Mm. in your feeds. How can folks subscribe and find us? Right. So we are on all of the platforms. So Podbean, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, is one of my personal favorites. They do this nice little background for us for our album artwork. But really, the point is, wherever you actually listen to music and podcasts, you'll probably find us there. Just search for Essentially Translatable. Follow us. And yep, Essentially Translatable or LBT Podcast. Mm. Uh, Those Either of those, usually you'll find us. You'll find a picture of us. Leave a rating. Um, That's right. If you want. We do appreciate the feedback that we've been getting. Uh, folks have sent us emails and messages, and we do really value your thoughts. If you have ideas for things that you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast, we'd love to hear those. How can people get in touch with us, Emily? Right. You can email us either at info at lbt.org or communications at lbt.org. That's going to go right to my inbox, and I'll be able to respond with a smile. You won't be able to see it but I'll be smiling. (laughs) It'll come through in the language. (laughs) Exactly. Lots of exclamation points. There we go. So uh, we call Dr. Mendito our founding father because if you would go back and listen to the very first episode of Essentially Translatable, which uh, we launched when we had time to pivot and and had some margin created by the fact that we couldn't get out and visit folks due to the Mm -hmm. COVID lockdowns, Tillone suggested that this was the time to launch a podcast. And so that's, uh, and it's taken all this time to to get him on the show, but boy, just a a great guy to talk with Mm -hmm. and his stories were phenomenal. It's true. Yeah, actually, there was a few times that I was just so riveted, and you'll hear that probably in like the awe of my question asking. He just, he's a gifted storyteller, and we can't wait for you to sit back and enjoy Dr. Tilhun Mendedo's stories. We are here in the studio with Dr. Tilaon Mendero, the Executive Development Officer at Lutheran Bible Translators, and it's so great to have you here in the studio. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Oduski, and also Emily. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, and what a time. <laughs> what a time. Welcome. Yeah, and we were uh, chatting a little bit before we got started recording. Again, I just want to mention for the whole audience here, this podcast is well over a year old, but originally it was your idea that we should have a podcast here when COVID started and we couldn't get out and do some of the things we're used to doing. Can you talk a little bit about that? And Well, you know what? I, I even don't recall that. But <laughs> the truth of uh, the matter, you know, there are many things that God has forced us to think about. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we are not able to be responding accordingly and God uses all kind of means to to you know keep our movement in, in a way that may benefit others and this may be one of uh, the many ways to communicate God's word and uh, social media and other things when you knew that this global pandemic uh, has an effect and impact on the global community and maybe such kind of communication is the best way and it sounds sometimes kind of like the old way because the radio wave mm. Mm. has been given a lot of lot of good news message to people across the globe that's right and then we forgot that and that's no more important and we thought everything is just like that small world here you go now god used this uh situation to communicate and connect to our friends and family and our churches, and even globally. And there may be people out there outside of the United States who yeah. be tuned up with your mm. message. 
Yeah, and we've had a lot of fun doing it and really great guests and trying to give voice to some folks that maybe don't usually get a platform to talk about how they see things and and Christianity. And yet uh, your friend President Boondaw has been on here. uh, Awesome. Dr. Boafo has been on. So yeah, we've had some some great guests. And again, mm-hmm. just wanted to take a moment to say thanks for the idea. And uh, it's been a lot of fun working on it. And we're looking forward to talking with you and some of your stories. Yeah, just wanting to jump in. And you grew up in Ethiopia. And we've heard a lot of stories in the office from you of life. But let's share a little bit with the audience about what life was like for you growing up in Ethiopia. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Ethiopia is a country which is located in northeast part of Africa, in the Horn of Africa, actually, and uh, a country which is surrounded by or bordered uh, with so many countries. Mm. Up in the north, we have former part of Ethiopia, which is now Eritrea, and up north also from there, we have uh, Egypt. And in the eastern part of uh, Ethiopia, we have Somalia and uh, the southern part of Ethiopia, Ethiopia is bordered with Kenya, and in the western part of Ethiopia, Ethiopia is bordered uh, with the Sudan, and the South Sudan and uh, the North Sudan now. But the reason why I say that, it has an impact, and it has a reason why I would like to mention all that historically, and of course, uh, geopolitically and uh, religiously. Mm-hmm. And my growth in Ethiopia was like any Ethiopian young boy, and looking after my herd and going to school and as a devout uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Christian and following the church mass and litany, liturgy and all kind of traditions. And uh, of course I was the firstborn and so as a young firstborn African boy and the burden of the family was always on my Mm -hmm. shoulder. Mm -hmm. So that's how my life in Ethiopia Worked hard in the field and worked hard also any kind of work that helps me to sustain or survive. And through so many issues, uh, common life like any average African and phase and also community blessings we have in the community in Africa. And one of the blessings to be born in Africa is you are no longer just uh, child of uh, your mama and daddy. Mm. You, you belong to the community. Mm-hmm. So we were raised that way. And I have seen also good days and bad days in my life in Ethiopia. And if I mention a few of them, probably hunger and starvation and famine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, someone was born in the time when uh, world-renowned singers and famous people came out and say, do they know if this is Christmas? Mm. And some of you might be yeah. very young to remember. Mm. And uh, in a time when they come and have uh, a world concert, including Michael Jackson and mm-hmm. uh, big icons in the world, singing We Are the World. Mm-hmm. And that was a time when a young uh, lady, Ethiopian lady, dying, but uh, a baby was uh, trying to get some milk out of his almost dead mama. That was... Mm the poster child of Ethiopian feminine hunger mm-hmm. in the 80s. And also, not only that, we went through famine, drought, civil wars, and political unrest, and we went through a time of communism, and we were under the grip of the communist regime for about 17 years. With so many civil wars, drought and famine, and uh, struggle, and all kinds of issues, uh, here I am. And then sometimes I ask that question, how did that happen and mm-hmm. how did I survive and what is the reason behind? And uh, so Ethiopia still going through challenge and was really impacted by challenge and maybe we'll go through still so many challenges. But one thing I can assure you is such a beautiful land and mm-hmm. a nice country with so many, so many potential mm-hmm. and that may come out one day. I had a chance to visit Ethiopia in 2019, and just, it was so incredibly beautiful. I'd never been to East Africa before, and the people welcomed us so warmly. The hospitality Mm. was second to none. It was just, everywhere we went, we never were without 
you know, something to to drink, something to eat, and just um, the kindness shown to us is just amazing. Could you share a little bit about the uh, role of missionaries in your life? You've shared a little bit at the offices here of how you've grown in faith because of missionaries, and um, it all started in Ethiopia, right? Yeah, that's true. And as I mentioned, I came from a very devout Eastern Orthodox or Ethiopian Orthodox family. And uh, my parents uh, are very uh, devout Christian. I have never missed uh, uh, Mass mm. or any holidays. And a matter of fact, we, we, uh, my parents are, pa- uh, they are patrons of St. Michael. Mm. And uh, we have that holiday always in our heart, in our mm-hmm. minds. But one thing I have to say, though, that was a kind of nominal Christianity. And we have the name that we are Christian. And uh, we practice so many things uh, on the side, such as uh, sacrificing for animals, the well-being of our animals. Mm. And I come from a a large uh, family, and my mom is from the Oromo tribe, one of the largest tribes in Africa. And my dad is from the Walaita tribe and uh, in the southern part of Ethiopia. They both lived in the Oromo land in RC, and I was born in RC, and that's why I came to know the language and the culture. So according to what the culture and the language and, and uh, the community demands, though my parents are, quote-unquote, confessing Christians, mm. they are at the same time also practicing some sort of syncretism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, in addition to that, the scripture was not available uh, in the heart of uh, our mother tongue or in, her, in our heart language. So it was read by the priestess in Giz, and it was uh, recited by the priestess who understand and perhaps who read and recited that as part of their educational system. Mm-hmm. And then our role is just to follow what the mm-hmm. priests say. Mm-hmm. So we had no idea what that means even sometimes. So... Uh, it was in that situation, at the age of 15, I was looking for the truth and searching for uh, the meaning of life. And questions come to my mind, why do I see um, children starve and die in my eyes? Mm. Why do I see uh, brothers are fighting uh, one another for meaningless cause sometimes? And why do I see all this kind of uh, unrest in the nation and it was a time when the communists also banned uh, religion because mm-hmm. for them, religion was a myth. And uh, whoever believed in that kind of thoughts considered uh, as a kind of uh, ignorant, mm-hmm. unscientific. And to some extent, sometimes they label you, uh, we are brainwashed imperialists and mm-hmm. puppies of the Americans. So that was a kind of context I was brought up. And uh, then when I met the missionary the first time, uh, it was an amazing incident. Mm, It was not really a planned incident. I ran into a young girl who was singing about Christ. And she was standing by the street and waiting for uh, a public bus. And I remember the town where I come from, Perhaps Pastor Rodesky visited that area is Nazareth, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, south, 50 miles south of Addis Ababa, and very commercial town and city. And I saw this young girl, and she was singing, and I was very much attracted by her voice. And but I knew she was older than I. But I, I just have to go and ask, what are you singing? And she said, Oh, I'm singing for Jesus. Oh, you are singing for Jesus. <laughs> uh, what a talk. <laughs> so it was a kind of like, then I said, what do you know about Jesus? And she, she told me, oh, are you from here? And I told her, yes. And I told her my dad, and she knew my dad. Oh, so that's your dad. Oh, great. And then she shared to me that Jesus loves me, and for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son for you to die. And uh, I, I was like confused mm-hmm. and for two reasons actually number one I was angry because a woman is lecturing me 
<laughs> just just understand this is African mind. Yeah. And I, I was groomed to be a deacon and a boy deacon already following through the Ethiopian Orthodox canon and tradition. Uh, but here you go. Even I have no idea what she was singing about. Mm. And um, second, uh, I was confused because uh, she was using the Bible text one after the other, which I didn't have the privilege of opening the Bible in my heart language. Mm. And uh, the Christianity I have is only what my parents told me. You know, early in the morning says this, in the night say that. And mm. uh, when you go by the church and bow down and make the sign of the cross, and when there is a wild wind come and uh, just pray for Hallie Mary and, you know, all those kind of things. But if somebody come and ask me where in the scripture or where, where in the Bible, I have no clue. Mm. Uh, I have the mask, a religious mask, but I don't have Christ. Mm. Then uh, this young lady was telling me. Then I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really keep up with her. And I said, "Hey, you know what? Can we have another time so that we, we may have a, a very decent, uh, good discussion?" Mm-hmm. And uh, because I hate to say that. I gave up, <laughs> so <laughs> it was my way of uh, getting out from that trap. Anyways, but the other day we we came together and we talked, we talked, we talked. There is nothing for me to offer, but she was well versed. She knew her Bible, and she bombarded me and she beat me up, and then I surrender for Jesus. And she asked me if I would just kneel down and say whatever she said after her and. Then just say I uh, renounce the devil and its work. And uh, from this time on, I give my life for Jesus. And I lift up my hands and she laid her hand and prayed for me. And that's how the walk started. Mm -hmm. My spiritual life journey began right there. And one day when she was teaching us kind of Bible study, and I was a kind of student who was just absorbing and taking quick and fast. And then... We couldn't get along with her because we're kind of like disagreeing whether I got to be baptized again. Mm. And I read from the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, St. Paul, to the church at Ephesus, there is only one baptism and one Lord and, you know, one religion, one faith. And, And she looked at me and she said, don't worry, there might be some people who think like you. And then I said, okay. Then she asked me if she would, if I would consider joining her to travel to Addis Ababa, which is 50 miles up north, the capital of Ethiopia. And then here you go. There is a big Lutheran church, which is now the International Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. Lideta Makane Jesus. And there by the altar, and there is a, a tall German uh, missionary. His name uh, was Johannes Launhardt from Hermannsburg Mission, Germany, and he was preaching. And Pastor Johannes, uh, some some people who knew him, they can tell what I was uh, describing about him. Very tall, close to seven feet. <laughs> and and he has very wide hands and stretching from wall to wall. <laughs> and I said, what am I seeing here? <laughs> and, you know, since I was raised and I was born and raised in a country, and even if I was, I was raised in Nazareth, a commercial town, my exposure to white people was very, just white people, <laughs> in mm. quotation, or um, Caucasian, European, was very, very limited. Mm. And the only time I knew about Caucasian was when I watched soccer for World mm. Cup or Olympic Games. And now here you go, I see this tall guy. And not only just he surprised me preaching to the Ethiopian congregation there, but preaching in Amharic. Hmm. And that is a lingua franca of Ethiopia. And he speaks flawless. And he, he, he was just talking. And he uses some English. And on, my, on our way out after the sermon, he was shaking hands. And he held my hands tight. And he said in Amharic, which means God loves you. Hmm. It was a shock. How would God love me? Because here I am really with so many questions in life. 
Then the next statement he mentioned to me was very interesting. He, he said that very interestingly, he looked at my eyes and he said in Oromo language, which means God loves you. That was like hmm. a home run wow. because that's my mama language. Mm-hmm. That is when the shock came to my life and he held me tight and he said, fear not, I'm your brother and uh, just stay here and I'm going to give you something. I was not sure what he's going to give me. Mm. I was just standing there and he finished greeting everybody and he came and uh, he said, okay, come here now. I have a special gift for you, for a young boy at the age of 15. And that, that time I was Afro and mm. skinny mm-hmm. with flip-flop. And uh, mm. the communist told us, if you run into Americans or European, we have to stay away because they will brainwash us and they give us candy or something. Mm. And they made us full. And uh, then after that, we are puppies. Mm. Then I said, oh, am I going to be a puppy? <laughs> <laughs> so is he going to give me a candy and whatever? I'll take it. <laughs> but the story is different. Pastor Johannes reached out from his bag and he pulled a book, a black book, and he put that in my hands and he said, get this and don't let anybody see you and run. I looked around, nobody spotted me. I put that under my jacket and I ran and ran and ran. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still b- remember how I ran because if I were found by oh, the communists back then, it's uh, in the early 80s and I could be prisoned. Mm-hmm. And there would be even a possibility I could be drafted to the military because they see me like I'm anti-revolution. Mm-hmm. I'm not like the use force of the revolution. I could be executed, and the worst part of that is they kill you, and your parents have to look for your dead body from one prison to another prison, Mm -hmm. from police station to police station, and if they found out you are somewhere there, and perhaps the surgeon or um, the captain or the police commander might ask your parents, hey, we had wasted our bullets on that dog. Mm. Mm. If you'd like to recover the body of that dog and you have to pay for the bullets. I mean, that is the Ethiopia mm-hmm. I knew and I was brought up. And But fortunately, except few prisons in life, <laughs> nothing happened to me compared mm. to many, many, many martyrs and uh, strong people of God. So that was my encounter with missionaries. And... Uh, once this happened, and my parents were kind of uh, suspicious mm-hmm. because I no longer practice a traditional religion or I no longer part of the prayer for Holy Mary, and they knew something is wrong with me. And they they were spying on me, and they found out I have that connection with the Protestants. They call them Pentes, which is kind of Pentecostals, mm-hmm. though we are not. And they see us like um, we are intruders. We, we, we have betrayed uh, the religion of our fathers, the Ethiopian Orthodox religion, which is Orthodox means the correct and the right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the right teaching to the teaching of the West or imperialist. So that was really tough on my parents because they were excluded from any social associations social guilds and they kicked them out and as the pressure was mounting uh my parents had no choice but you know they uh gave me ultimatum and consult with my tribal people and they literally disowned me Hmm. and that was when the missionary stepped in my life and of course after that i was being supported and graduated my high school and became very active in the uh, evangelistic outreach program in that area and God used those small efforts uh, in a mighty way uh, to make a difference. And then from that, I joined the seminary in Ethiopia and I was supported by the same missionary and other missionaries. And then I, I ran into many missionaries from the United States, from Germany, from Norway and from uh, Sweden and uh, Denmark. And uh, 
So that helped me to to, to see uh, the grand vision of ministry. And um, then I was uh, asked to lead a, a Bible school and training centers and a mobile Bible school for the church. And uh, that was my work. And uh, that's how I was connected to Christ and missionaries and the Lutheran phase at the age of 15 mm-hmm. and probably about 35 years ago. Hmm. Wow. And so I just want to go back a little bit to you got that first black book from Pastor Johannes and it's a Bible, right? Yes. So talk about a little bit like what, you know, you finally, when you stopped running and had a chance to open and read it, what was, what was it like? Well, it, it, it was amazing because I was curious to open it. Mm. And first I thought it could be a science book. Mm. It could be a dictionary. Or it could be kind of book that I may just read fiction. Mm. And I waited until I get home. And once we got home, my home in Nazareth, which is Adama now, mm. I come from a very humble middle class or poor, I would say, family. And my dad was a civilian in a sense. He was a military and civilian also, and my mom is a homemaker, and uh, we are about nine, ten kids in the home, and I'm the firstborn, and uh, so we have like three bedrooms and just small, and in one room there was a big, big jar, a very big jar, I don't know how to explain it. That jar, the purpose of that jar is that my mom pours water into that jar and fills it, because there is a shortage of water, and that's that's what we use either for us or for the animals and mm. for the entire family. And uh, so it was, we live in the town, but there was a shortage of water then. And, but I was hiding behind that jar. Okay. And I see only a spark of light coming through that broken window. Mm. <laughs> and uh, through that uh, ray of uh, light, I able to open the book. Mm. And the first text when I opened that was from psalm 91 you remember psalm 91 mm-hmm. what it says and uh, that was like an eye-opening the first verses are like the one our god is a refuge and strength right and strength mm-hmm. and then uh, he's our uh, shadow and that's a place where we shelter mm-hmm. and then it gives you affirmation uh, whatever happens uh, you'll be fine even all the, yeah, the arrows fly, the arrows fly yeah. on you and you will not be hurt. Right. And then I said, wow, there is nothing to fear for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And from that on, uh, there were so many arrows in my life, <laughs> so many challenges, so many struggles. But uh, from that time on, the Lord opened my eyes. And here is the irony. When, when I opened that, it says the Bible. The Holy Bible, actually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say the Bible. The Holy Bible. Metzahafa mm-hmm. Kedus. And then I opened. That was the first chapter of the Bible from the book of Psalm 91. I ended up, and that was like, boom. Mm-hmm. Then, surprisingly enough, I read that Bible from cover to cover for almost six, seven months, probably four or five times. Wow. And... In the communist time of Ethiopia, it is not like what so many people jump in the street of Addis Ababa today about uh, evangelical Christianity. You hide Mm. and you read and you recite and you memorize because you cannot carry the Bible with you. Mm -hmm. And you never know when you'd be apprehended or arrested. And when you go to sometimes in high school, I was leading high school ring leadership, like, and my role was working with helping the scripture union and uh, the mechanist church use office and making that connection in leadership. If mm-hmm. we are found doing that, it is just a big, a big uh, crime during that communist time. But we, we, we sometimes we sit in uh, this uh, big grass. I don't know if you know about this savanna grass. Mm-hmm even taller than us, we hide there like four or five. We have cells everywhere, mm-hmm. and we study the scripture, and we have very little verse in case if we are not memorized, we write it. Mm-hmm. When the communists come all of a sudden, 
we, we always make our physics or chemistry book open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they come and they couldn't find anything because they only see chemistry, physics, and biology because the scripture was in our heart mm. and in our minds. Yeah. And you never know when you'd be in jail. You'd not have the text or the Bible. You share that to the fellow prisoner or anyone in the jail and comfort them and strengthen them. And that's how my life was uh, in time of uh, the communist in Ethiopia. <laughs> so when you arrived as a student in the U.S., to study theology, what were some of the cultural differences you experienced? Yeah, I don't know where to begin because (laughs) um, I dreamt a lot to pursue my education. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how big is the United States Mm. because the United States were taught by the communists was imperialist and, you know, ugly photos with... Uh, shaft shoe and ugly nose and big ear <laughs> with a lot of nail scratching you and eating you and kind of angry picture. Oh. That's the way how mm-hmm. the newsletter and all over the posters show you what imperialists are or Americans are. Mm-hmm. Okay, you were brought up in that kind of culture and so coming to America for me was uh, it's unknown water had no idea where I'm going into. And uh, on the other hand, coming to America, because the media and everything was government controlled and we, we had people may blame about why the, the Northern Koreans are still under bondage of that regime. Mm-hmm. But they had no choice because if you don't know what is around, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. Morning to night, we have only one channel and that's it. So you drink that and you, you behave that way. Um, but after I encounter with some educated people and missionaries, I started thinking differently and started reading books and getting some books smuggled from Europe or elsewhere and then started questioning. And then when I felt it is time for me to pursue education, I was very young because almost when I was 23, um, I already graduated from seminary and mm-hmm. When I was 27, I have already finished my master's program and then went to Germany briefly and came back. And then my eyes were open like big, Mm -hmm. seeing Germany and my missionary friends and family there. And then I said, wow, we don't exist. (laughs) We are not yet living. So what happened? And that quest of pursuing more education was in my heart. But the problem was, how do you get the scholarship? I just want you to know this, and even whoever hears this podcast, um, <laughs> I, I I had to apply for 350 universities to come to the United, the United States. Wow. And, and at one point, uh, my wife told me, I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> I lost my brain. And she felt like, oh, look at all these envelopes and all these stamps. That would have been money to feed us for one month or two months, three months. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like you press all the buttons and you don't know where one of the buttons leads you. Mm-hmm. And in two weeks' time, half of those mails returned back <laughs> simply because I had all the book from... The 60s, it's the oh. World Almanac, Almanac, Almanac book. And it's a kind of old book and the directory or the addresses are changed and schools mm. have been closed or whatever. Mm. Then it was disappointing. Mm. Then there were f- four responses, very positive. One was from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. And the other one was Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The other one was Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And the other one is Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I can't take any of them. Mm-hmm. And then the Fort Wayne Seminary's package looks like more prominent and more convincing to me because it gives me four tickets in a year. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I was a winner of that year's scholarship for one African student. Mm. Uh, in amount of $120,000 for four years to pursue my PhD. And this scholarship was 
from the uh, world uh, mission back then mm-hmm. and they call it CRISP uh, which is committee responsible for international scholarship program and people like Ken Reiner and uh, Pastor Rogner and many of them have been overseeing that and I was fortunate I had no idea what Missouri Synod is I have no idea what uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America is simply because in Africa a Lutheran is a Lutheran right. so we, we we don't have all this so but fortunately I was given that privilege and came to this country mm. once I got here it was amazing because the first thing I could see is like the affluent and 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 the possibility uh, people say the sky is the limit, and even sometimes I don't see any limit. <laughs> uh, y- you can be, you know, whatever you want. I-, I mean, look, a guy who was looking after his cattle and, and going through hell in Ethiopia and uh, coming to the United States and pursuing a PhD in one of the seminaries here and achieving that goal and receiving a call and uh, assigned to be a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, for African American congregation mm-hmm. for over six and a half years, mm-hmm. and teaching in a university at University of South Alabama, uh, one of the public universities, good public universities, and teaching also at Spring Hill College, a Jesuit Catholic college in Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And imagine how would that happen mm-hmm. for someone unless it is in the United States? And how would that happen unless God transform your life through that word and make you somebody? Then imagine from that even God brought me to the position where I am, even becoming a president of one of the Concordias and one of the universities in the Concordia system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is unthinkable, mm-hmm. unthinkable for a guy who was struggling to lead his life to find a bread on the table and to see if there is an opportunity even to see the sunlight the next day and coming to the United States, things change and God opened the door and God brought so many people in my life and my family and now all our children are grown up and attending school universities and very proud of them. And so coming to America to me is not only just a privilege for me, but also a give back uh, for me because through my being here, uh, I have so many kids we feed and support, and uh, we have so many students in high schools, universities, seminaries, and some of them know where they are. And how did God do that? Just, just through one person, hmm. because he sent that missionary, Johannes Launhar and many missionaries in Ethiopia who touched my life so that I am who I am today. And through me, now God is transforming many more. And what to say? Uh, Sometimes we don't know what we are doing, Mm -hmm. but God knows what he's doing. Yeah, and and clearly then God has used all of those experiences to bring you to where you are today now with a, a focus that builds on that pastoral experience, that teaching and leadership experience now to point to mission and say, um, there's all kinds of folks that are just like I was who could be connected to God's word, who who could get involved and, and you know, know a missionary, be a missionary, and that's part of the work you do now. So talk a little bit about your passion for God's mission. Yes, uh, that is the key factor mm-hmm. because we are, we are not our own. <laughs> We are marked by His grace. On that day when we are baptized, we are set aside. And we don't live for ourselves. And uh, God's mission for me is uh, God's presence in our life. And God's presence in the lives of many. And how would that be explained is sometimes hard, but it is easy also. Mm. Because when God sent His only begotten Son, to live with us and become one of us and dwell in us and the incarnation process, that's God's mission. And that's the reconnection we have also with the world 
and when 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 our missionaries go in the field and learn the language learn the culture assimilate themselves and become one of the people and hear their oral language and find a word or a syntax or a grammar or kind of developing that language with the community and then transferring that mission or or giving that Christ in a written word mm. boy that's not for a one time moment that's for eternity that's what i call it an eternal investment so god's mission and his salvation history coming to all of us in Christ Jesus through his word unfolded to all of us and to me that's what god's mission is yeah and uh, you talked about how you know first going to germany and then the us for eye opening experiences you um also a few years ago got to go to west africa and uh, talk a little bit about your experience there visiting some of the translation literacy programs going on in west africa yes after i left uh, the university system and joined uh, the lutheran bible translation i was very much impressed by what i saw first it begins from here in the office because it's a small office mm. you come from multi-million dollar budget to a small organization with five six people packed in a small office and then i said ah, what am i doing here <laughs> and that's kind of uh, but uh, that's how our, our human life is we always forget where we come from then when mike rodwald shared with me how long he was in africa i knew he was in africa he and i went to school together and but i didn't know that he he was in africa more than i lived in africa mm. and i was kind of who then what did you do there in the translation bible translation and missionary for the lutheran church of missouri synod and you know all that then i said what do you translate in the bible you know if people don't have the bible in their heart language and the message would be strange they would not see Jesus. Mm. Boy, that story of my own life came that way. Yeah. And I said, you know, I was like that Ethiopian eunuch, mm. except I have a wife and children. <laughs> Ethiopian <laughs> eunuch. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> we'll explain I, it to you later if you don't understand. Just I, write to info at org. I had that wonderful uh, religious experience and uh, I come... You know, I go to church, I come from the church, and I have the liturgy, and I have all that stuff, but I don't have Jesus. Mm -hmm. Even reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that is the heart of the gospel. Yeah. You, you can't go wrong with that, but still what happens? You miss the point, and then I went to, I, I felt I was like, Jesus, this should be like my life. Yeah. And uh, when I have this privilege and I was given a chance to go to West Africa, I would not lie to you. I went there with, with, with some pride. Mm -hmm. That pride was, I know Africa better than my friend David Federwoods, an American. <laughs> then I went there. I know nothing about Africa. <laughs> the Africa I know in East Africa, even Ethiopia, is as the day is different from the night, mm. different. Mm -hmm. Then what struck me there was seeing young missionaries like, um, you know, Amy Formola, Formella and uh, Joshua and Ruthie Wagner and the children and the way they live. And then that reminds me the old days, how our German missionaries and the Scandinavian missionaries lived in the rural part of Ethiopia. And... And I said, it was a struggle, tough. Then when I knew this is their callings and this is their vocation and this is what God has brought them to do, this mission, and to get this word out uh, in the hands of millions so that they sing this song of eternity from that book, the Bible, it, it was a humbling experience and another learning curve in my life. Mm. And a beautiful love West Africa. Mm, it's muggy and hot <laughs> yeah. when I was there. And I live in Alabama. It's like that. And, okay. But it's beautiful people, nice people. Enjoyed my time there. 
You've been impacted by Bible translation yourself personally and being here at Lutheran Bible Translators. So what would you share with people? What do you think that they should know about the work of Bible translation? Oh, that's a good question. You know what happened just a year and a half ago when COVID came? We thought that the end of humanity. It could happen one day. Hmm. When Isaiah spoke to his people, God spoke through Isaiah to the people of Israel. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. Hmm. And what I say to my audience today is the same. Mm, doesn't matter where I come from. Doesn't matter where I am today. But at the end of the day, all this pass. But God's word endures forever. And I say to my audience today, wherever they are, uh, in Africa or Asia or here in, here in the United States, sometimes we, we put all our effort and energy in a thing that is going to wither, mm-hmm. that is going to pass like the flowers, like the meadow in the morning. But the Word of God is what we need to cling on because it is eternal. So when they pray for our missionaries and celebrate Bible translation ministry, you know, we are approaching to International Bible Translation Sunday on September 26. I want every Christian on planet Earth just to open the Bible and read a verse and say, thank you, Lord, because you are speaking to me through thy word. And God, you are speaking my language. I want them to speak that loud because we are privileged, whereas many, many people are out there without the word of God in dark. And I want them to understand also when they donate and give, we are not out giving God. Mm -hmm. There are many out there who are giving their life, sacrificing their life, stricken by Ebola and malaria and all kinds of struggles in Africa or elsewhere. But they still endure that to see to see more more people in heaven. And just like in the book of uh, Revelation, as, as, as uh, the elderly man asked, you know, who are these? Yeah. And the scripture says, and these are the people who washed uh, the, their robes with uh, the blood of the lamb. And uh, they're wearing that white robes and holding the palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in loud voice, it says, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So when we support Bible translation, we meant that one day before the Lamb, we are singing with all those who be transformed by this word of God. And so it is an eternal investment. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. So how can someone... Uh, set up a time to to meet with you or have a presentation done? One thing that I'm grateful is also that God has given me so many people in my life, uh, faithful donors, good counselors, pastors, friends. And if anyone would be interested in to hear God's story in my life, I'm open to that. And if they have a church or event or, you know, I speak at the conventions, I speak at the Lutheran Women Convention or uh, district meetings, conventions, and I preach and teach at our Lutheran Church of uh, Missouri Synod congregations. And if I'm allowed to also speak at events and uh, occasions, uh, I'll be out there for connecting uh, folks to this important and noble cause that they enjoy, and uh, which I enjoy it also. So they find me through the address of Lutheran Bible Translation, and the office address would be here, uh, 205 South Main Street, Concordia, Missouri. And the website is www.lbt.org. And also, if they would uh, consider to email me, my first name, T-L-A-H-U-N, T-I-L-A-H-U-N dot M-E-N-D-E-D-O, Mendedo at 
lbt.org. And but if they make a call to my office and they can reach to one of our office people here and they can schedule my trip or my visit or my preaching and teaching, I would love to do that. It doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, and uh, to everyone listening out there, you won't be disappointed if you do that to spend time with Dr. Talon is a blessing. We want to thank you for sharing uh, some of your life story with us and really also even more than that, sharing the good gifts that God has given you and being generous with those and giving your life in service to the spread of the gospel. So uh, thanks a lot for your time with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And God is blessing to you and your ministry and uh, enjoy working with you. And it's a privilege. Thank you. So as promised, you heard my voice of awe. There was actually one point that, you know, I was kind of queued up to ask a question and I was so mesmerized, like I just, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even have the words. But Dr. Tillahun Mendado's gift for being able to paint a picture of what life is like for him growing up and how important the faith was for seeing him through each stage of life um, and how important it is for him to share that vision of God's mission with people around the nation and the importance of Bible translation in people's own language to be able to interact with what God is saying to all generations. Yeah, the, there's so many things going through my mind thinking about what we talked about with him, like the grit and determination mm -hmm. that folks that are Christians under persecution go through. And for him, you know, a time of separation from his family when he embraced faith in a different way than they were used to. That, and then I think about also uh, from the, the missionaries' perspective, those missionaries that first worked with him mm -hmm. would have had no idea that their impact on just this one life would have an impact on so many other lives through through the work that he does and how God really put on Talon's heart to not just keep that blessing all for himself, okay. but to to share with others, um, both as he shares about the opportunities to be involved in mission, but even the resources that God has blessed him with as he shares those with so many folks back home. Yeah, it's true. Story. Like his, his story of starting out and he's like, you know, just this shepherd boy, you know, and then how God was at work. And I think that that's just a call to action in my life and just in the church in general. Like, you know, it could be in the life of a Sunday school student, you know, embracing like, oh, this this gospel message is more than just for me, but for my classmates to, you know, the adults in Bible study and then going out into their community and being intentional in sharing the gospel to, you know, being in a, an assisted living community, because that is an awesome place for being able to share hope and just the truth of Christ's love for us. So wherever yeah. you are, you can you can be at work. Yep. The word that comes to my mind is trajectory. So Tillahoon's mm -hmm. life was on a certain trajectory and then insert the gospel here and then the trajectory changes. And and that's the opportunity we have when we when we share our faith. We never know exactly how that trajectory is going to change, but God does and he gives us the privilege to be part of it. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. This episode of Essentially Translatable was produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now.